Welcome to All Students of Stanford Unite, the official podcast of the Associated Students of Stanford University and Stanford Student Enterprises. I'm your host, Cricket Vitalman. Today's guest is Aaron Wu, who is a communications student and a senior in the class of 2021. Hi, Aaron. Hi, Cricket. How are you on this lovely Sunday? Doing pretty well. How are you? Doing well. I wanted to talk to you about the daily because I think that that is a, an interesting perspective that students really haven't gotten much information on. What made you decide to start working with the daily? Kind of a mixture of things. Um, I did journalism in high school, and so it was a pretty obvious jump to apply for the daily in college as well. I was a copy editor my freshman year as a news staff writer, and I think kind of the combination of getting more involved with the community there and like having my first experience doing breaking news just really hooked me on it. And then throughout like my sophomore and junior years, I was just getting more and more involved. And then journalism is what I want to do with the rest of my life. That is really cool. I'm also a journalist, so I can definitely relate. Some people, though, don't understand um, what copy editing is. Would you mind giving us a little clarity on that? Copy editing is to make sure that everything is grammatically correct, AP style, Associated Press style, making sure that's correct. There's also some logistical layout stuff in terms of getting the articles from WordPress into the print paper and then copy editing headlines and stuff like that. But at this point, copy editing is more or less just making sure writing flows and everything is grammatically appropriate with the style. Why did you pick the daily instead of like the Fountain Hopper or the Stanford Review? And what would you say are the differences? The Daily is definitely the most prominent and I would say the most reputable of the campus publications. I don't know if I'm going to get emails about that. If you're less familiar with it, the Daily prints every single day. Back when we were on campus, we had a Daily print edition. Right now we send out an email digest with all of our headlines every morning and we update the website every day. We're the only independent daily news source at Stanford and we cover everything from news to sports to arts and life. We publish opinions a lot of the times. I would say that we differ from a place like FOHO. First of all, we're just a lot more accountable, a lot more transparent. I think the joke about FOHO is that they are unaccountable accountability reporting. They're very much like a black box with their journalistic practices. And then the review, I don't think really publishes that much news and original reporting. And so they're largely like opinions writing. The first time I read the FOHO, I thought it was satire because of the writing style. But I think it has tried to gain some reputation over the last few years. I remember speaking to someone who was on their staff who said that they were not particularly happy with how it was three years ago. Do you think that they've succeeded at improving the reputation? Interesting. I don't know. I would actually say that I think right now their leadership is doing a lot more independent reporting. I would say like our freshman year, they also were a lot more active. It kind of just varies based on whoever is in charge of it at the time. Like one of the benefits that the Daily has is that we have a pretty large staff, a lot of traditions. So it's easier to keep, I guess, like standards constant like year after year because there is a lot more continuity. The FOHO is definitely a good addition to the Stanford media sphere and definitely keeps us on our toes. A great incentive to keep plugging on an investigative piece is knowing that like, oh, if we put something on the back burner for too long, there's a good chance that FOHO will get to it. But I think that they do suffer a little bit from the tabloidy reputation, like sensationalizing things. Would you say then that the Daily doesn't sensationalize things? I would say so, yes. How would you say that the Daily prioritize which things to report on? So we definitely follow a pretty standard pattern of newsworthiness, I would say. What we teach our new staff writers is that something is newsworthy if it is timely, if it is impactful to the Stanford community, if it's 
new in the sense that this is something that is unique, hasn't been going on, or if it has been going on, there's something to tie it to the present moment. So those are the stories that we try to tell. I think we're also trying to prioritize a lot of enterprise stories and that is rather than just responding to breaking news, like going out, understanding trends before they publish. If you want later, I can talk you through some of the like logistical changes that we're making to do a better job proactively sourcing stories, but largely we try to look at what is impacting the most Stanford students or impacting maybe a smaller population of students, but who are very much disproportionately impacted. And so stories that uncover something that's going wrong at the university, stories that in some sense, like hold the powerful to account. I think those are the stories, at least in news that we're really prioritizing across different sections. There's a lot of the same overall mentality, but making sure that we're getting a range of opinions from different places in the campus discussion, trying to emphasize publishing perspectives that go beyond your privileged white Stanford student. So I think right now we're making a really concerted effort to diversify our perspectives and the pieces that we publish and just really trying to do a better job of capturing stories that really serve the Stanford community. In a period of history where a lot of minorities are trying to get their voices out there, we both know that the number one headline, or in this case, the email subject is really what determines what catches the eye first. When you have a lot of communities trying to get their voices out there, how do you determine what the big headline is? This is such a good question. It's typically whatever the biggest news story of the day is. That could be the investigation we did about the Graduate School of Business. I know for a couple of days last week, Stanford debates reopening. And so we're talking about the controversy over the ASSU executive memo. It's hard for me to say that there's a specific criteria or specific metric that goes into picking whatever our top story is. It's kind of just whatever we think is impacts the most people, is most interesting. If there is an investigation that we've been working on, we try to give that top billing. And so, for example, the day that the GSB story came out, that was also the day that the university announced a lot of things with housing. Like, I know that that was the day Ernie's liquor lost its liquor license, and that was like the fifth top, the fifth most important story we decided. Um, but it really just depends. And then a lot of the times, if you'll see the emails, it's like the headline and then the subheading and the subheading is often something that's happening in opinions or one of the other sections. So like if there's a big game in sports, we're running right now this series called the Battle for Black Studies. And so often that's something that we'll highlight there in the subheading because maybe there's like a huge news event going on, but we want to make sure that people are reading those articles as well. So it's really more just like a value judgment than anything else. The Daily is something that is supposed to address both the student community and the professor and administration community. If you had to guess, what would you say that the audience breakdown looks like? Probably in terms of like our loyal readership, especially when we're at campus and we're printing out print papers, I would say that like, first of all, like the administration, to the best of my understanding, reads the Daily every single day. And I think that there are a lot of faculty who also read it pretty regularly. In terms of students, I think that it's less 
as much as like I hate to say it probably less of like a loyal loyal readership people who are sitting down to read every single thing whereas if there's a story that's relevant to them if there's a big investigation that we're doing then I think that it's more people reading on a case-by-case basis and so one of the things that we're trying to do is understand how can we make the daily more useful for students more like something that they want to pick up every single day and so the executive editor, Lyo, and I have been engaging in a bunch of different meetings with people from community organizations and activist groups. And one of the questions we always ask is, what would make it worthwhile for you to pick up the daily every morning? Like, what's the kind of coverage that would be useful for you? And so that's what we're really trying to prioritize right now. So if the news team then receives a whole bunch of different tips on various things, how do they decide which ones to look into first? Because you do want to make the paper as engaging as possible to as wide an audience as possible, but you obviously can't cover everything. First of all, it's not that like we're picking one story and ignoring everything else. We are super lucky right now to have a very robust news staff, a ton of different beat reporters on different subjects. And so one of the first things that we'll do is we will look at pitches coming in and try to see like, is this something that falls into a particular reporter's area of expertise? And so, for example, we have a reporter covering tech ethics. We have a reporter covering the vaccine rollout, a reporter covering faculty affairs, so a lot of the controversies with Hoover. And so if it's something like that, then you immediately pitch to the specific beat reporter to see if they'll be able to take it on. If we get a tip about faculty or administration misconduct, that's something that we'll generally get on right away. Something that is putting students or workers in danger. Like when we were talking about like fly students, international students, things like that, we will see an issue or problem and it's like, okay, like we need to get someone on this for tomorrow and the breaking news machine kind of gets into gear like that. I think it's just hard to tell because There are so many different kinds of stories that we're working on. There are always a ton of balls up in the air at any given moment. Generally, if we get a tip about misconduct, someone gets on that very quickly. If there's breaking news, either in terms of like something happening on campus or like a university announcement, we also, someone will be on that and get a story up with like within a few hours. The things that you just referenced are a lot to do with the faculty and staff and administration. How would you describe the dailies? relationship with the administration? Because you also reference them as very loyal readers. There's definitely a level of wanting to hold power accountable, right? And so a lot of the stories that we write will be around perspectives critical of the university, whether that's in terms of paying their subcontracted workers or the way that they deal with Title IX. The administration definitely reads the daily, and that's something that we see as a source of power rather than a sense of wanting to stay on their good side, I suppose. Trying to prioritize stories that could lead to change because we know that a lot of the decision makers at the university are reading our paper and so that's a way that we can uncover things and bring things to light in a way that hopefully could provide meaningful change at the school. So it sounds like what you're saying is that part of what you do is that you tried to influence change in the publications that you write. And we were just talking about the administration, but would you say that that is true of the students as well? Yeah, I would say so. One thing that came up recently is someone wrote, either in the daily or on Facebook, that 
they feel like the daily is becoming the campus compact enforcers. They expressed a view that the administration is not appearing to be doing a very good job with enforcing the campus compact. And it and they were also saying that they feel like the FOHO and the daily in particular are being relied on to report and question the large on-campus gatherings that we've been seeing. Would you agree with that? Our public editor actually wrote a column about this. Um, Liz Lindquister, she's a senior studying history. She's a former executive editor at the paper. And right now she's our public editor. Um, and her role is to both like interrogate the decisions we're making, hold us accountable, but also like explain our journalism to a broader audience. I think the question I'm pulling up her article right now, but the question that she was grappling with was whether, yeah, whether we've taken on a role as an arbiter of the campus compact or an arm of the university. Just to make things crystal clear, like the university is not asking us to do any of this. We're not like working with the university per se, but what I right, do of course. That we're doing is trying to draw attention to the ways that like policies are falling short, like student behavior is falling short. That's something that is in the universities and in students' best interest to know what is going on in campus and understand like where those policies and behaviors need to be changed. This is something that's very clearly newsworthy. We're not doing it with the aim of like punishing a specific student or anything like that, but really just providing a fuller picture of what campus looks like right now. So I would say that we're definitely not doing, like the university isn't relying on us or anything like that, but like I would say that the reporting that we're doing is in the service of the community, very much so. Would you say then that the Daily's relationship with staff and students has changed much since the pandemic started? I would say that in terms of our coverage of students, I think that there's been a lot more attention paid to organizing and social justice on campus. That is something that has been both a product of and just coincided with the pandemic in a way that I think has been really valuable in the ways that we seek to reflect what's going on with students. And so I think that especially in our news and opinion sections, a lot of coverage of the ways that like the pandemic and Stanford's policies surrounding it have disproportionately affected fly students. So all of a lot of like the mutual aid and organizing efforts, campus workers as well. And then in our opinion section, like I think you see the way that as campus has campus has gotten more disparate, like you really see the opinion section taking on almost a role as a public forum where people like students for workers' rights, professors like David Palumbo Lu and different people from like all areas of campus seeing the daily as a way to elevate stories and elevate viewpoints. And so in that sense, I think that the daily has almost become like more central as something to hold the campus community together as everyone spreads out around the country and around the world, of course. Yeah, I really like that. How do international students contribute to the daily then? Because there is a schedule when it comes to getting things published. We have some editors actually who are in different time zones. Our opinions editor, Mega, is in India right now. And so it's, it's something that we work around with like asynchronous editing on Google Docs where like the editor will leave comments and um, the writer will see it like when they wake up or just strategically scheduling meetings for like later in the day for like East Coast and like very early in the morning for Mega or like something like that. But it's something that we've been working around, I think, in the 
same ways that like everyone else at Stanford has to, has made it somewhat more difficult to ensure that international students are able to participate in the daily through logistical constraints, but it definitely is something that's still very much happening and like we hugely value those perspectives. Would you say that you prefer a fully virtual environment then for getting things published in the daily or did you prefer the in-person format? And I don't think there's a right answer to that. In terms of putting a newspaper together and like in terms of running a news organization, like I very much wish that we were back on campus. Like I think there's something about getting to physically be in the daily house, having that newsroom environment, being able to build in-person community that's invaluable and I miss so much. I'm really proud of the way that we have adapted to COVID, being able to continue putting out the news every day, like building virtual community. But I think that there's still like a tremendous amount of good things happening at The Daily right now. But I think if you like asked me to pick one or the other, like I would definitely say in person. I think that's a common sentiment across campus. Currently, the administration is trying to figure out whether or not juniors and seniors will be allowed on campus um, for spring quarter. And hopefully what happens with winter quarter does not happen again. Has the daily staff considered publishing a series of opinion articles about what life really is like on campus? That has been pitched to us. We've published we've published articles about what it's like on campus. Like we've very much done that. Yeah, it's been pitched to us. I don't think that there's been very much movement on it, but it's something that we've considered, yeah. How diverse is the Daily's staff? Less diverse than we would like, but we're very explicitly working on it. How would you say that the lack of diversity that you just mentioned affects the angles that you take on various news articles? It's absolutely something that affects our coverage, I would say. This volume, for the first time ever, we've launched a diversity, equity, and inclusion team kind of growing out of a discussion series that we put on over the break around ethics in journalism. And one of the discussions we had was, for example, back in May and June when we were covering the protest, we had a series of articles about students protesting around the country, but like we didn't have any pieces looking at the impact of the protests and the broader movement like on black stu- students in our own community. And like, that's an example of like a huge editorial oversight that in many ways like came across because of the demographics of like who was in leadership at the time. And I like very much, I was news editor then, like I very much include myself in that. It's something that has 100% affected the stories that we have chosen to pursue and affected the stories that we pursue and the angles that we've taken on that coverage when we do pursue stories. And so that's definitely one of the reasons why we're very much working to diversify not only our staff, but also our editorial leadership. Um, We're launching right now a mentorship program aimed at improving the pipeline for staffers from underrepresented minority groups to become newsroom leaders at The Daily. And so, I mean, it's something that we're definitely very cognizant of. I was talking to two Berkeley professors for something that is entirely unrelated to this, but they were expressing the thought that journalism is a quote-unquote elitist field. Is that something that you would agree with? Interesting. Can you give me a little bit more detail on what they meant by that? I think they just meant that there's a lack of diversity in journalism, that primarily more privileged groups are represented in the field. Would you say that that's clear enough? Yeah, Yeah, 100%. What about with the daily? Also, yes. Okay. Um, And we've got some programs right now that, that 
we're trying to use to rectify that. Like one of the things I'm really excited about is Opportunity Fellowship, where we've got a cohort of eight students right now, but hoping to expand where we're giving students from low-income backgrounds a thousand dollar stipend and extra programming to make it easier to work at the daily if you also need to work an on-campus job because we understand the time commitment is such a barrier for students who have who have to think about like whether or not they're actually going to be able to earn money and can't just physically cannot afford to spend like 10 hours a week like working for free at a campus newspaper and really trying to understand the barriers to entry both at the daily and journalism as a whole as a whole like what we can do to make this a better and easier an environment to work in but yes yeah i would agree with that that is interesting and i was considering joining the daily a couple of years ago but i hadn't exactly decided on what my path was going to be at stanford and I also thought that it was going to be a big commitment. And that was about the time that I joined the ASSU. And so I think a good question is, since I'm doing a lot of communications work, how would you describe the relationship between the daily and the ASSU? I would say that like, I think like any kind of government media relationship, like it's definitely something of a complicated relationship, but I think that ultimately like at the end of the day, both parties want the same thing, which is Stanford to be the best that it can be for its students and its staff and its workers. And so there are definitely places where the ASSU and the Daily are in alignment. We work together on stories sometimes, we publish op-eds for you guys. And then of course, there's also an aspect of wanting to hold elective representatives accountable. So there's also a piece of that in the relationship. That is almost everything that I have. So the Daily has elections every quarter, I think, to determine who the editor-in-chief is and the executive twice, editor. Twice a year. We have, oh, okay. And the editor-in-chief is elected and then they appoint everyone else. Oh, okay. So what made you throw your hat in the ring for that? I think a variety of things. One of them was that I was really excited about what could be done to improve different aspects of the paper in terms of content, community, diversity, equity, and inclusion. And so I think having the knowledge of how it works and where it falls short, I definitely wanted to, like there are definitely like initiatives that I wanted to be able to push through. And then I guess I just, I don't know, like I, I love the paper very deeply. Like I wanted to do whatever I could to like help make it better. Right. And that's kind of the mindset that I went into the ASSU with. And a bit strange to say that I had never worked with the organization before, but I'm very passionate about advocacy and stuff. So when I went into that to my current role, I had an idea for a project that I wanted to start. When you went into your role as editor-in-chief, did you have a certain project or initiative in mind? Absolutely. <laughs> One of the things that they make you do um, if you're writing for editor-in-chief is you submit a platform, which is basically a, on a high level, everything that you want to do for the paper. My platform was a dozen pages long, single-spaced in eight main categories of things that I wanted to do for the paper. On a very high level, like, I wanted to start this diversity, equity, and inclusion team, really make substantial progress in both internal equity and external equity in terms of our coverage and in our outreach. I wanted to improve the quality of content and reporting especially in terms of doing more proactive coverage across all of our sections. And I wanted to improve the community and working environment at the paper. Glad that you are putting an emphasis on diversity. Before we wrap up here, 
Are there any changes that you would like to see even after you're no longer with the daily? Well, we've touched on kind of issues around diversity and representation. I think that's something that I 100% want to see the paper continue to improve at. I think that we're making progress in the right direction, but it's absolutely not something that's going to be accomplished in one volume or even one year. So definitely things around that as well, like community outreach, partnering with community stakeholders. We are having a ton of meetings right now and trying to get build the foundation for those relationships, but it'll be something that keeps going volume after volume. Definitely one of one of the things about being a spring volume editor-in-chief, like my term is from February 1st to July 1st. In so many ways, like that's such a short amount of time, especially doing this as a senior, as winter and spring quarter senior. I think I'm so cognizant of the fact that in just a few months, like I'm going to graduate and this is my last volume at the paper. What I want to do is build the foundation for sustainable work to continue in volume 260 and the one that comes after mine in like years to come. And so I think that so much of what I'm doing is just wanting to take the first few steps so that the people coming after me can continue that at the paper. I hear the passion when you're talking about that, and I really love that. If someone wanted to get involved with the Daily, whether that's on the opinions team or on the news team or however else, how should they go about doing that? Oh God, it is literally so easy. (laughs) I mean, first of all, they can email me, um, eic at stanforddaily.com with what they want to do at the paper, and I will get them set up. Um, We also have a join the daily, a tab on the website. Like you can literally join at any time by emailing me or like any other editor. Zero barrier to entry. You can kind of pursue any projects that you want to at really whatever level of commitment that you want to put into that varies a little bit by section, but yeah, like there's a place for people who want to do really anything they want to do at the daily like we have so many different teams from reporting to opinions to multimedia and tech and business if you are at all interested in joining the daily please email me and like we will get you set up on that awesome awesome well that is about all the time we have for today but before we go is there anything else you'd like to add no i don't think so thanks so much for having me on of course That was Erin Wu, a communications major and editor-in-chief of the Stanford Daily and a proud senior in the member of the Stanford University class of 2021. This has been another episode of All Students of Stanford Unite, the official podcast of the Associated Students of Stanford University and Stanford Student Enterprises. I'm your host, Cricket Beidelman, and have a great start to your March. (laughs) 